Hello and welcome to Parently, where we tap into the unique experiences and perspectives of parents to celebrate the joys and honor the challenges of child rearing. With new interviews each week, this is a podcast for moms and dads seeking an empowering community and a little levity. Now here's your host, Kelsey Higgins. Hello and welcome to Parently. My guest today is a dear college friend who I met, can't believe it, 15 years ago already. We are getting quite old, Killian Bishop. I'm uh, I'm excited to connect with you and catch up. It's always fun recording um, with a girlfriend. But also, you have a very important story and kind of message to put out there. So I'm excited to be able to share some knowledge with our listeners today. I'm excited to share too. It's a topic that's not easy and a lot of women face it at different stages in their life or if they don't, they're very blessed, but I hope to be a resource for them. That's very kind of you. Let's start with some basics. Tell me about you. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Colorado Springs. I'm a military brat. Uh, My dad was in the army for 20 some years and traveled everywhere, but I was on the tail end of that experience. So predominantly lived in Colorado. Uh, For college, I looked in Minnesota, which was a home away from home for me since all my family lives up here. Mm -hmm. Um, St. Ben's, which is an all girls school where I met you and a bunch of our other girlfriends. And Mm -hmm. then St. John's, the boys school where I ended up meeting my husband. So for viewers who aren't familiar with St. Ben's and St. John's, classes are co-ed. <laughs> right. It's not like we don't get to see boys. Yes. We see them all day. <laughs> yeah. That might have been a deal breaker for me, to be honest. Same. I always knew I wanted I, – I, I went there being like, I'm going to meet a swimmer and I'm going to have swimming babies with him. If, you oh, know. my gosh. Yeah. You just manifested your destiny, didn't you? I. That's how it went down. Yeah. Yeah, you met your swimmer husband, and the two of you got hitched. Did you both always want children? I know you did. Actually, no, the funny thing is I, I always, like, in the back of my mind kind of thought uh, I could waver on it. I, I, I always thought if, I'm gonna, if I marry someone who's really anti it, I knew my, my value in life wasn't going to necessarily come from children. I would still find a ton of value, and life would be full of joy and, and life and experiences even if I didn't have kids. And I think mm. part of that was also just because, like, you don't know if you can have kids. So I always kind of mm. went into it with that mindset that if I wanted, if I was going to marry someone who wanted them, then I was going to be gung ho about it. But if I was going to marry someone who really didn't want it, I kind of probably could have leaned either way. Tell me about your family now. Is it just you and Nick? No. So uh, Nick and I uh, have a two-year-old daughter named Millie. Like I said, I, I could have found great fulfillment in life without children, but I, I never knew love like this. I never knew joy like this. And and again, I'll support those who don't want to be parents because there are so many loves and joys in your life too. But but I just can't picture my life without her now. Yeah, it's funny how kids do that, isn't it? <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. Okay, so we are here to talk about a, a specific event in your life that happens. Actually, most statistics out there will say it happens in one in four pregnancies. 
which is a lot. That's 25% of pregnancies. And these are recognized pregnancies, meaning if the woman um, perhaps didn't even know she was pregnant yet and miscarried a baby, that's not counted in the statistics. So that's what we're talking about today is um, miscarriages. Yes. Well, let's just start with a little bit about the pregnancy. So when did you get pregnant again after Millie? So I think Millie was 14 months when we started trying again. And um, I feel very blessed in this way. It happened right away for us. Um, Mm -hmm. So we tried and I took the pregnancy test and it happened immediately. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Very lucky, you know. But something felt wrong mm. pretty early on to me. Even maybe I took the pregnancy test a week later. Um, I just I, I turned to Nick and I was like, "This isn't this isn't happening." And he was like, "Oh, Killian, you get a little paranoid." And it happened with Millie too, where every once in a while I was like, "What if we miscarriage?" But this was mm. instantaneously, and it was on like constantly. It was one hundred percent of my thought. Really? Just did anything physically feel off or just mentally you felt off? Both. So um, I I, basically when we, um, you know, at at ovulation and when we went for it, I almost instantly was like, oh, I'm pregnant. I know I am. I could tell like, you know, before I even took the pregnancy test, I was like, oh, Nick, we're pregnant. And, and, you know, he believed me because with Millie, I felt the same way. I just was so in tune. Mm-hmm. But then like, you know, it felt the same all the way through. And then that one week afterward, I was like, I should have morning sickness. I was so sick with Millie. I mean, like Kate Middleton sick, where mm. puking, I was outed at, at five and a half weeks because it was that bad at work. And my boss could tell something was wrong. He thought he thought I had like some serious illness. And I was like, you idiot, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you for outing me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But this one, um, morning sickness wasn't there. Um, I was a little tired, but not to the same degree. And I just mentally, I knew something was wrong. So I was about six and a half weeks. And I had called them multiple times leading up to that six and a half weeks. And I was like, something's wrong. I can't explain it. Um, and I don't think I'm being a paranoid mom. I know, I know what it was like. I had those fleeting moments throughout Millie's pregnancy, but I was like, this one, it's constant. I know. And I, and they were like, oh, you're just the, the mother woes. Every pregnancy is different. And finally I just called and I was like, if don't you think this amount of stress wouldn't be good for a pregnancy anyways? Like, just let me come in. Just like, you know, Stroke my ego here, placate to me. I, I don't know what. Just let me come in and and mm-hmm. let me prove it to you that I'm right. Um, so they let me come in at six and a half weeks, and they more or less took an ultrasound. And at that point in time, six and a half weeks, you should be able to see a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. If not, you should at least be able to see a fetal pole. And that's where like that's the first sign of like the embryo like really forming in the sac and whatnot. But um, there wasn't that. The sac was was measuring about where it should have been, maybe a little smaller, um, but there was no fetal pole in it whatsoever. And they were like, well, you know, the technician can't really tell you anything, but they also had me go get my HCG levels. Mm. So once these were all done, the doctor called me after all the results and she said, okay, we're not seeing a fetal pole, 
But she's like, it's not uncommon while it's still more rare than not. Sometimes fetal poles don't develop until eight weeks. And you very well may have the, the dates wrong from, you know, when you conceived and, and, and timing of your missed period or whatever. And I was like, no, I, I know. Like we were tracking it because we were, we were trying, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. And then um, she was like, but your HCG levels are outstanding. 18,000. And she was like, that's higher than some people have in their, in their normal present pregnancy that comes full term and it's healthy and everything. She's like, these are outstanding HCG levels. So the next step was get another round two days later to see that in fact they have doubled, which is what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to happen when you are pregnant. Well, I get them back and the level is 25 K and she called me and she's like, well, you know, uh, this is something new. Most people think it has to double, but once it hits 1,800, it's actually not supposed to double until closer to three days. And then once you hit 6,000, it's actually not really supposed to double until four or five days. So the next step was take another HCG level five days later and have another ultrasound. At this point in time, um, the HCG levels, I don't remember what the number was, but she said it was the minimum amount it could be to still be considered a viable pregnancy based off the last recorded level. Oh, not something you want to hear. No. And no fetal pole was still visible at seven and a half weeks. At this point in time, she's like, there's not lack of hope. You can always hope, but she's like, you need to kind of come to grips that this isn't going to come to fruition, but she's like, it still technically could show up at eight and a half weeks. So it's like you have to wait a whole nother week. You have to go through a whole nother round of like HCG levels. When in your heart and your mind and your soul, you knew it was done, but you have to still do it. Like I couldn't live mm. with myself if I didn't know. Right. The next appointment was the at eight and a half weeks. We saw that it was still empty. Um, but that poor technician. Like I, when I think about that day, what great news you get to give when it's joyful. What And you can't tell anything. You're not allowed to say anything, but – you know, we, we tried to like let her have a way out of it. You know, I remember just being like, we knew if it was empty, we know that there's nothing in there at eight and a half weeks. And she was so gracious, brought me Kleenexes. It's those little Aww. actions that just give you a lot of, you got to praise those people for what, what they have to go through too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you're so right. It's, it's a tough job. Only you would be like experiencing trauma like that and thinking of the person delivering the message to you. (laughs) You're such a thoughtful person. Oh, that's very kind of you. (laughs) At that point, you were eight weeks or eight and a half weeks? I was eight and a half weeks at that point in time. It's called a blighted ovum. So it's actually very common. Like 20% of miscarriages are blighted ovums where a sac is formed. You still have hormones. The placenta is forming. Um, but the difference is most of the time they kind of nature takes its course before you ever hit the eight week appointment where you would even see the ultrasound. Um, unfortunately I, 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 I would have rather had that happen once you hear the rest of the story, but, uh, I would have gladly what like wanted nature to take its course instead of kind of going through the next few weeks of what happened after that. But, um, but, uh, yeah, it's common, but it's, and but it's just seeing this emptiness in there. You're like, you know, your body still wants to produce something that's never going to happen. And, and um, it's technically a miscarriage within like one or two days of, of, the, of conceiving. It's just that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. So 
it's that your body is literally like the sperm and the egg meet, but when it starts to formulate, they know that there's something wrong, like there's some abnormality going on with it, that it never produces the embryo during that point in time, but it produces the sac that still allows it to like crawl through the fallopian tubes and then, you know, attach to the uterus. But it's, it's within days, it's, it's nothing. You, you, the doctor calls with the, the information. What happens next? Did they tell you, let's wait to see what happens as you say, let nature take its course? So she gave me three options um, or said, this is how we typically handle it. One is let nature take its course. Two would be taking this pill. Um, I'm going to butcher the technical term, but it's called uh, misoprostol or something like that. Um, and it's something that you insert vaginally and it kind of expedites nature taking its course. Or you can get a DNC, which is you go under anesthesia and they surgically remove um, the sac and the placenta and anything that's growing within your uterus. And it was up to you to decide? Uh, more or less, but she basically said, we're not going to allow you to do option one. Like your HCG levels are way too high for this to ever want to do it on its own. So she's like, it would have to it'd take much longer. And she's like, by that time, it would be too high of a, a risk of infection happening to you. So she was like, more or less, you have to choose either option two or option three. And I think this was like on a, sat, uh, on a Thursday or something that she called with this news. And she's like, by next Tuesday, you have to make a decision if you want option two. <laughs> if you want option three, you, you still have some time. But with option two, um, it, it, it's, it's slightly time sensitive because with option two, you take this pill, it's supposed to kind of jumpstart cramps in your system as if you're like kind of going through like contractions in a way. And then it releases what, you know, the sack, everything inside of you. Right. But mm -hmm. when you, when you do this and you can read it, some women say it's super successful for them. Right. But more than not, people typically have to do a second round because not everything gets pulled out. Killian, I'm I'm thinking back to the time that you first told me this story, and I remember something that really bothered you was kind of the slang term that they use for that pill. Yeah, they call it the abortion pill. Tell me about that. Why why does that strike a chord with you? Well, I just I just thought like you know I was raised Catholic and. And that's something that like you're not supposed to do when you're Catholic. And, and I don't want to look at, uh, th this is not me taking a political stand one way or the other, because I'm not going to say what people can and can't do in their life. And, but I personally would never be able to abort a child. I, I just could never do it. And when they said that, and when I read all about it and read the thing, I had to call my mom instantly, who's a nurse and, and I was like, and she's the biggest Catholic I know. And I was just like, mom, th does this mean I'm aborting it? Like what? And she goes, there's nothing in there, Killian. You're not aborting a child. It's a horrible name. Even your dad and I who are in the medical field, just we, we can't stand that that is called the abortion pill when so many people use it for their miscarriages. It's, it's meant to be an aid in, in, in just allowing women to move on. It is really wild if you think about it because – when you think of an abortion, you uh, just you think of aborting a fetus, right? Yes. And 
that's not what was going on with your body. So I, I agree. I remember when you told me that I was like, well, that's really a strange slang for it because it, it just, it makes a difficult situation all of a sudden for some people also, also a moral dilemma, which is strange. I mean, you're already going through this difficult decision-making process, right? Yeah. And I read that and I was like, well, should this factor into my decision? And I thought, well, is this any different than a DNC? You know, like, right. Yeah. But that word, it's just has such a, a negative connotation to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, they didn't call it the, the abortion procedure, right? They called it the DNC. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So what did you ultimately decide to go forward with? Oh, well, it was, it was a really tough decision for me because, um, my fears of DNC too, is I'm, I'm very type A. I don't like to be out of control. And when I've been, was put on a, a previous procedure for my celiac disease biopsy, I had to be put under anesthesia and I remember the procedure. What? Mm-hmm. I remember the conversations that they had, the doctor and the nurse. And they, I remember them saying, wow, she's a thrasher. Cause I was moving around cause of the tube that they had to put down your throat. <laughs> And then they had to juice oh me up gosh. more. Yeah. What was the second part they said? Oh, they said she's a thrasher. And then they were like, we better put more juice in her. Like, meaning like they had to put a higher like drip rate of the anesthesia so that I like would calm down. That is freaky. Did you ever talk to them about it? They mentioned that like, like in the moment I like, oh, and when I like was being pulled out of surgery, it was a longer wait because then getting it through my blood system was longer or however it works. I don't exactly know. But I was very loopy and it was like very, it was very, it wasn't a good experience. And that's what my dad does for a living, right? Mm. My dad was like, we're going to sue them. And then he backed off because we're not suing people. But he was like, they should, they need to do an M&M and they need to read about how that went and how that handled. Like he was very upset about it. Oh, I'm sorry, Killian. Yeah. But I I, I can understand how that would then affect your decision moving forward. Right? Like, it's like, I don't want to remember this, this action. It's like one thing, they're sticking a tube down your throat and slicing your small intestine to see if you're allergic to gluten. This one is very invasive, very personal. Like, wow, it just kept on going through my head about what to do, you know? And I I had to reach out to a slew of women to make the decision. How did you know who to reach out to? So um, I, I first reached out to a mutual friend of ours, Anne Marie, and it was really hard to reach out to her because I, I, she had multiple miscarriages. And at this point in time, she had a brand new three-week-old baby. And I didn't really want to bring her into a headspace of something negative in her life when she just had something so joyous in her life go on, right? Mm-hmm. But sorry, I'll get emotional about it. But my husband was like, don't you think Anne Marie would be so upset with you if you didn't reach out to her? Mm-hmm. And she knew you were going through this. So she and she didn't have the exact situation, but she was a wonderful lending of ear. But, you know, she she did have enough questions and, and thought processes that kind of, you know, led me to then ask more people. So I asked people at work that I knew that had miscarriages and three women that I had never had meetings with all just huddled into this little room. They all canceled these important meetings they had of leadership. And they were like, this is how my DNC went. This is how my... A pill, you know, went to to move it on, and and they just had all their descri- descriptions and what they preferred, and 
and everything like that. And I even reached out to, we have the same hairdresser. I even reached out to ah. her. <laughs> we do. And she's awesome. Shout out Kel. <laughs> and uh, I, I texted her and, and got her opinion on it. Like I asked anyone that would talk to me about it. It was almost this tally system. And, and I, I called my the, the most informative people were probably my cousins um, who went through this. One naturally got to do it. And it, she's like, it was horrible seeing all that stuff happen to me, just all that pulling out. And it was a memory I don't want, right? So that almost made me think DNC. But then my other cousin, Mary, she was like, I've done both. DNC was horrible. And she went into this huge explanation about it. And I remember listening to that being like, I don't want that experience. So I decided to do the pill. <laughs> My initial thought is, wow, you knew a lot of women to reach out to. But as I think about it from, I guess, my perspective, I think I would too. I think I, w- I, I know enough women that I would, I would have a decent pool of resources to connect with. I, I, I feel really lucky. And, and like when I really think about like those women at work too, like I, I didn't have a lot of meetings of marketing people. I, I'm in finance and accounting and I'm a nerd and they're cool and trendy. And, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of them, she was so open about her, her experiences with me that I, I Skyped her at work and I was like, I need someone to talk to. And she's like, I know what you need to talk about. Like I didn't even have to allude that like I had news or this. She's like, I know what you're pinging me about. And she's like, let's go meet in this room. And then she got there and she goes, I have three other people on speed dial that work at this company that are willing to come if you are okay with it. That's so amazing how women can band together like that to support one another when, when they decide to do it. Yeah. Well, I would never wish this on anyone, right, ever. But I kept on taking like every step of the way whenever something got hard, I thought, okay, what's the positive out of this? I had so many friends I turned to that were such support, whether they went through it or not, they were a shoulder to cry on. Not everyone has that. That's a blessing, right? It is. The other thing that I think is probably different than how it was a decade, two decades, three decades ago, women didn't talk about miscarriages like they do now. No, they don't. And it's it's crazy, right? Yeah. It, well, it is. And I think... You know, a, a recurring theme that I'm that I'm hearing in, in in speaking with different guests is we can all agree that social media has its evils, but it also certainly has brought about positive changes. And I, I think the the reason why women are so willing to talk about things like miscarriages now, in a big part, is because they have platforms to do it. I mean, before. You know, besides sharing with friends and in one-on-one or group conversations, there was no way to say, this is what I'm going through and it's normal and it's okay. You are 100% right with that. And I, I actually even almost reached out to certain people that were very vocal about it, that were college friends or acquaintances, because I remember during a plug to October, it's, it's a miscarriage awareness month. Um, uh, but I remember them posting that sort of thing on, on, on social media being like to all the moms out there struggling, I struggled too, or, or this happened to me or this happened to me. And I thought well, they could be resources. I at least had a, a close enough circle to have more like one-on-one conversations. But if I didn't have that, I would have gladly reached out to people that had said something on Facebook because they put themselves out there as a resource. 
mm-hmm. in my eyes. Which is really amazing if you think about it. It's um, a cool, helpful way to leverage social media and, and help us all to feel better connected. Agreed. We'll be back after a short break. Today's episode is sponsored by Strip. After several months of maternity leave, I am back to work, which means I'm also back to wearing makeup. While I do enjoy wearing makeup, I have never enjoyed the process of removing it at the end of the day. Until now, I've been using a new product I love called Strip. It does more than just remove your makeup, though it does do that well. It is skincare that truly nourishes your face with nutrients and vitamins, leaving behind noticeably healthier looking skin. It's made up of clean ingredients and it doesn't have a zillion steps that frankly, I just don't have time for. I've even shared it with family and friends and we all agree it leaves your skin feeling so soft and looking replenished. My favorite product is the Caviar Jelly Remover. It removes my makeup while hydrating with these fun, bursting nutrient bubbles. Support your favorite podcast with an awesome product. Check out Strip and use my discount by visiting stripyourmakeup.com forward slash parently. Strip your makeup, not your skin. Now back to Parently with your host, Kelsey Higgins. You have decided to take the pill. Yes. What happens next? It was my 33rd birthday. (laughs) Oh, happy birthday. (laughs) What a birthday present. Go and get uh, the pill. And it's not one pill. It's four pills that you have to administer at home um, vaginally. And you're supposed to stick it as far up vaginally as you possibly can. Um, And then they basically say, lay down and wait and um, have a lot of pads and stuff and expect to run to the bathroom and you might have some severe cramps. There was a big gamut of pain range that they that they stated on it Um, to uh, make a longer story short. I made frequent trips to the bathroom all night. Uh, I can't explain how much stuff came out of me. And I thought, whew, at least I'm done. You know, everyone's pain scale is is different and there was probably a lot of emotional feelings attached to it but would you describe it as painful I wouldn't no I mean but I also like had severe cramps growing up to the point where like I'd faint so to me this was like it was a walk in the park like Mm. it was nothing to me but again like how yeah it could be different for someone else right right Mm-hmm. So you went through that night, which wasn't pleasant, mm-hmm. but wasn't necessarily painful. And then you're like, cool, I'm done. And that was it. Well, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't all. No. Uh, so what they make you do next is like take an HCG level and um, test. And mine was like up in the 60s or 70s. It was very high. And she was my doctor called me immediately and she's like, she's, she used some foul language, but in the moment it, it, it felt right. Um, <laughs> uh, right. She's like, I've never seen this to this degree. You need to come in immediately for an ultrasound. Um, so called my work and said, I can't come to work. And I went in for an ultrasound and 
it was shocking. 100% the sac was still intact and the placenta, everything was still 100% intact. Wow. So what was coming out of you? I have no idea. Like, I, I you know, like, I, I, there, like there's fluid and stuff, right? Like I, that had to have been it. That's the only thing I can think of what it was. Then what? So um, my doctor called me and said, um, we're, you don't have a choice anymore. You have to do option three, the DNC. I've only seen this in my career twice where your HCG levels are still growing to where I would say it's a viable pregnancy. Meaning she's like, I don't think this is going to happen on its own. The, the pill didn't work. I don't think it's going to work again. She's like, emotionally, I would just say, go straight to, go straight to the DNC. And also she's like, you're going to just, it's going to end up that way anyway. Like, she's just like, it's, there's no hope here. You just like, let's go, let's move forward. Not that that's positive news, but I suppose at least you didn't need to make another decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, at that point in time, I, I I remember being really scared leading up to this too and and calling my dad. So my dad is a nurse anesthetist or former, I should say he's retired now, but um, he worked at a birthing center and specialized in pragmatic births. So at a birthing center, you do a lot of births, but you also do a lot of DNCs. He, he really like put me at rest. He's like, I know what happened with that last surgery. That's not going to happen this time. Tell them that it happened. He's like, I guarantee that, the, that the, the, these nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists are going to be on their game. This is the most sensitive time for a woman, and they want to be there to support you. So he just really put me at ease with the whole situation. That's nice. Yeah. He's got some really specific skills that came in handy. <laughs> very specific skills and knowledge that actually came very in handy. It, it did. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Most people would call their moms. I call my dad for stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Mr. A. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so how long, I mean, was everything moving pretty quick now or was it, okay, now we need to check their schedules to see when we can fit you in? Uh, it was like that, but they were super awesome about it. Like they, they, they had me sit down before I left. Like they left the appointment that they checked me in on. I, I finally met my doctor face-to-face because she was new at the – my previous doctor had left the, the hospital group. And so I met my new doctor, and right when I walked in, she gave me this big hug, and she, she let me cry and – you know, she, she was just wonderful. Like, I, I have nothing but wonderful things to say about the staff that led up to the point of the DNC um, and, and how helpful they were. They, they scheduled all the timing for me. They, 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 they said, this person's great. Who's going to do your surgery? They, they did everything great and right leading up to the day of the DNC. I, I went in on a uh, – they, they scheduled it uh, mid-morning because I had to make sure that my daughter could get the daycare and, and that I have a ride, meaning my husband. So – that was the only issue that I had was like trying to find a time that we ensured that we could go and come home in time to pick up Millie and drop off Millie as well, you know. Was Nick there with you while – was it called an operation or a surgery? What is it called? I think it's just called a surgery. The surgery. Okay. Yeah. Was he was he physically at um, the hospital while the surgery was happening? Um, he was. Uh, and, and while – I. Uh, it was a rough day. Let's just put it that way. While everyone was wonderful getting me to the point of the DNC, I would say uh, I'll give my wisdom in before telling the story in its full capacity, but there'll be checkpoints along the way where people learn from my mistakes in this situation. Um, I would highly suggest, if possible, you take the very first appointment of the day. 
because then they can't push you because no other surgery will go long. Okay. So you showed up and didn't quite start at the time that you were scheduled for. Yes. So initially we were scheduled at the outpatient clinic. So surgeries that aren't serious um, go to the outpatient clinic. And um, I was all dressed in the gown. The, the nurses were talking to me and they were about to get like the nurse anesthetist to come and you had to talk to the, the you had to talk to the nurses and everything. They ask you all these questions like if you're safe, what your blood type is, everything like that. I had gone through all those questions um, Nick was in the hospital room with me or whatever, and, and we were joking around, talking about Survivor, my favorite show, and how an Olympian was on it this season. And Nick was actually interested because an Olympian swimmer was on it, you know, like just trying right. to distract me into this. And another nurse comes in and says, you could just tell by her demeanor that she was going to give me bad news. Mm. And the news was that the doctor was tied up at the hospital, wouldn't be able to make it over to the outpatient clinic, which is only a mile and a half away. So I had to go to her. Mm. Understood. Here's my next pearl of wisdom for people. Don't leave the current location you're at until you literally have the next location's paperwork in your hand. Uh-oh. So going to the hospital, um, uh, information guide us straight to the, to the desk and the person who checked me and I had all my old paperwork with me thinking that that would be an easily traceable documentation to whoever I was going to be checked in and where I had to go. She said I wasn't in the system and sure, there was nothing she could do and was basically questioning, are you even at the right location? Are you even at the right place? Are you, are you oh, even God. this? Yeah. Yeah. It was just. That day is a hard enough day if everything goes perfect, mm -hmm. you know? And so the fact that you had all these additional hurdles and obstacles and challenges is really sad. Yeah. And it, it, it even got worse. There were so many missteps along the way after that, including it was another two hour wait. Um, by the time I saw the nurse, she, she, she lacked tack in my opinion. And I, I I, I didn't know this was a part of the DNC and it's not everywhere. It depends where you go from a hospital lens, but if it's, if it's more of a religious affiliated hospital and I went to Methodist, um, they actually to ask you if you want to bury the remains, if you have a funeral planned at home. And if not, they have a location, um, at a, they have a cemetery where they will bury the remains for you. Um, and they just showed me a map where the remains would be buried. And now I'm like, whenever I run around Lake Calhoun, I'll, 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 I'll never think of, I'll see that cemetery and I'll always know that, that, uh, that the, the empty sack remains that I had is buried there now, you know, like I, I, I didn't really want to go through that. And I didn't want them to talk to me about the emotional trauma of miscarriage. I think they were trying to be nice, but frankly, I was like, I was already past that. Now I'm you know, I, I've already gone through all this other steps to get to this point. I just want to move on. I didn't really need a therapist in that moment. Um, mm. And another mistake I had was they said Nick had to remain outside and he wasn't allowed to go back there with me. And I wish that I would have just said right away, I know why they do that. They, and it's a very important question. Am I safe at home? I should have just said, I'm safe at home. I want my husband with me. You know, mm. I should have mm -hmm. said that right then and there. And that would be my next suggestion because – Back there in the back, uh, uh, the nurse was like, well, why did you switch locations? And now why are you seeing this doctor? No one in the whole entire process told me that I had a new doctor. 
Because the reason you went to that hospital was to meet your doctor. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kill him. Yeah. And at this point, it's how it, it's how far past your original appointment time? Probably like three and a half hours. And and I remember the weirdest question from the nurse being like, "What's your blood type?" And they asked me that at the at the other location too. And by that time, I couldn't remember if I was O positive or O negative. I was so tired. I I literally had cried when they made me leave the other facility. I cried when they didn't have me at that other location. I had been then waiting in the waiting room for another two hours. And then just found out that I had a new doctor and she's like, you don't even know your own blood type. And I thought I could, I know it at the top of my head any other day of the year, but at this moment I don't know it. Yeah. So I, and I actually like was taken aback and I was like, who would, I think I even said it because Nick was finally back here with me at that point in time. Um, I was like, why would you even trust me? I, I, I can't believe I said that to her because normally I would have been a lot like more graceful about like someone's demeanor to me, but I was like, why would you trust the patient? What if it's wrong? That's on you trusting the patient. And she's like, it's not even the file. We might have to go get a blood drawn. And I was like, look, in 2017, they took my blood draw for my first child. I know it's in 2017. And I was like, it'll be in these months. And then she found it. She goes, oh, great memory. And I was like, I can remember that, I guess. (laughs) Tell me about this new doctor. She was wonderful. I honestly, I I think that if they just would have said, "Hey, you have a new doctor," and it's because uh, the, your other doctor had to be pulled into like an emergency surgery to deliver a baby, I would have understood. It's just right. upfront communication. Yeah. Um. And and that's when when I found that it was a different doctor. That's when I broke down and I said, "I need my husband in here now." And I turned to Nick and was like, "Let's just leave. This is chaos. They don't know." They don't know who my doctor is. They haven't like, uh, there's no faith in this team right now based on the questions and the way they've been handling me today, like moving me around with no consistency. And he turned to me, he's like, do you really want to go through this again? Mm. Yeah, no, I don't. So I was like, let's meet the team. And if I feel comfortable, we'll keep going. Wise old Nick. Yes. You liked her you felt comfortable and so finally Mm -hmm. you went forward with the surgery yep and I met the anesthetist team too and they I they asked me what what surgeries I'd had in the past and I'd mentioned it and I forgot one and they reminded me of it and I thought oh confidence you looked at the chart like oh I was like okay I'm good and we went through it um on the other side they said I was a very polite patient in my um, loopiness. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a very polite person in general, so I can imagine that was intensified. They said that I, uh, um, at the end of it, when they were wheeling me around, they kind of giggled and I was like, did you guys do a bang up job in there? <laughs> they were laughing oh and gosh. I was like, thank you for skillful working. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I was giving them compliments left and right and... Uh, they said that I was supposed to leave in the original time slot around noon. I left around five. That's a really, yeah. really long day. You went home mm-hmm. and we're thinking that's that. Yeah. Yeah. That it was, I don't, I think I went, I think it was like on a Thursday or Friday. I can't really remember what day the surgery was on, but you know, uh, over the weekend, met up with friends, went, watched the Vikings game, you know, Woo-hoo. right? Go Vikes. <laughs> um, uh, had like, you know, just tried to like have fun given the situation that had happened. And, 
kind of shared to friends that didn't know about it and, um, you know, just was very open about it. Um, thought it was all done until the following Monday. What happened on Monday? So um, what happened on Monday was I started to have a just increased level of bleeding. It was minor to a degree, right? Like it wasn't a lot, but like it kind of like like stopped over the weekend and then it started up again. And I, I read that that can be common, that it can just go in and out like over the next week, right? But mm-hmm. the bleeding started to turn into clots. And it was only like clots of like maybe a quarter sized or something, right? And I called the doctor and they're like, just monitor, no big deal. Um, throughout the day and I was at work, I would go to the, to the restroom and then, you know, it started getting a little bigger. So I was like, okay, I'm monitoring. If there's another one, I'll call. Uh, then they started turning into the size of dates. Mm. And then um, they started turning to the size of like a small plum until it started turning into the size of a peach. That is terrifying. Yeah. And during this, they kept on saying monitor, monitor. And at a certain point, when it was peach-sized, like, I went to the bathroom one last time. But when it was plum-sized, I basically decided, I'm going to the hospital. I don't care what they say, you know? Right. Yep. But then it was peach-sized on my way out, you know, going to the bathroom one last time. And um, I just headed straight to my car and I like told my boss like on the way out because it was, it was at the end of the day luckily and luckily traffic was kind of had dissipated. I stayed a little bit later and I was like, I'm, I'm going to the hospital right now. You know, I just kind of let him know and he was like, okay. okay. And he was like kind of confused, but like, I was like, you know, he knew everything that was going on and, and, and whatnot, but I just kind of told him that because I just had this bad feeling that something like I wouldn't be at work the next day. Um, mm-hmm. But I made it sound very passing because I didn't want to like overreact to it either. But half- sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Halfway to the hospital, I was on 394, which is a busy highway in Minnesota. And um, uh, they called and they were like, you need to call an ambulance and just come in right now. It's like, well. <laughs> so, so when you called, they said, just monitor it. But then they obviously had some internal conversations and decided that wasn't great advice. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And you were like, I'm driving. Yeah. So at that point, I was like, well, I think that'd be stupid. I'm probably faster if I just go there myself. But, you know, I was like, well, what if I faint? So I hung up and illegally called my husband while driving. But um, uh, just had myself on speakerphone and said, Nick, just I'm, I want you to know I'm here, you know, and this is where I, I was like, I'm turning on to Excelsior. I'm turning here into the hospital. I'm turning. I'm like, I'm here and I'm safe, you know. And I was like, come when you can find a babysitter. We'll be back after a short break. Today's episode is sponsored by Strip. After several months of maternity leave, I am back to work, which means I'm also back to wearing makeup. While I do enjoy wearing makeup, I have never enjoyed the process of removing it at the end of the day. Until now, I've been using a new product I love called Strip. It does more than just remove your makeup, though it does do that well. It is skincare that truly nourishes your face with nutrients and vitamins, leaving behind noticeably healthier looking skin. It's made up of clean ingredients and it doesn't have a zillion steps that frankly, I just don't have time for. I've even shared it with family and friends and we all agree it leaves your skin feeling so soft and looking replenished. My favorite product is the Caviar Jelly Remover. 
it removes my makeup while hydrating with these fun bursting nutrient bubbles. Support your favorite podcast with an awesome product. Check out Strip and use my discount by visiting stripyourmakeup.com forward slash parently. Strip your makeup, not your skin. Now back to Parently with your host, Kelsey Higgins. You get to the ER. Was there a ton of paperwork? No, no. I mean, it was pretty obvious because by the time I got there, I had blood down to my knees. Oh, my gosh, Killian. Yeah. So the clots had had stopped coming out at that point in time. But later I found out what happens when you have that, like, many clots, like, come out in rapid succession. It can sometimes, like, cause, like, a seizing uterus, which then, like, basically all the, the blood veins and vessels in, like, my uterus, like, contracted. And then it just started the hemorrhage. That is terrifying. It, it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I, I like called my dad while waiting for Nick and I was like, am I going to die? And he was like, no, you're not going to die. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh about it now, but I'm sure that was a serious question at the time. Yeah. I was like, am I going to orphan my child here, dad? He was like, no, Killian. He's like, it's, it's, he, he like even said, there's probably just like, He's like, the worst case scenario is you're going to have to go in for a surgery. And I was like, that's not what I want to hear right now, dad. Like, I didn't have a real good experience last time I went in on a surgery. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they, they they jumped me up from like, there was, it was a huge waiting line in there. And they said, Mondays are always busy, I found out. But there was a huge line and they jumped me up to the very, very top. So I was put in pretty quickly. And luckily, Nick's, Nick called like 10 people. Um, but they're all probably heading home from work. So eventually got a hold of his aunt and uncle who were tired and they got there and he, he arrived right when I was rolled into the, into the, my room, you know, so it was good timing. Mm-hmm. How did it feel? I mean, I, you're, you're clearly bleeding quite a bit. Did it, was it painful or was it like you, unless you saw it, you didn't know? I, it wasn't really painful. Uh, it just felt uncomfortable. Like you could feel, you could feel stuff coming out of you and it was, I think it was just an out-of-body experience at that point in time that, like, I looked at my pants and I was, like, by, when I got there, they let me go to the bathroom and they told me where the pads were and I had bled through three three pads by the time they rolled me in the back, you know? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was scary. Y- you know, uh, it, it serves to be a good story. This is probably going to be one of my all-time favorite stories of all time, truly. Really? Why do you, Why would you say that? Well, the doctor, I would say, is why. Um, so we're checked in and the doctor comes in. And right away, I think that President Obama is one of the most attractive people that I've ever seen on television personally. I think he's a very attractive man. Do you just like his brain? No, I think he's very attractive looking. I just think he's gorgeous. I, I just think he's a very good looking person, right? Okay, okay. But this person looked like Obama, but like... 10 times hotter than Obama. <laughs> Your doctor. My doctor, right? Okay. And right away, I looked at him and I was like, I know who you are. Survivor's my all-time favorite show. And I was like, oh my God, you're Dr. Peter, before he even do- introduces his name. And I didn't say this. This is in my head going on. It's like, you're Dr. Peter from Bronze Brains Beauty, season 32 of Survivor. Oh my gosh. He was very, you know, kind and introduced himself as uh, Peter. I don't know his last name, honestly. Like, but uh, uh, I know who he is. He left. He left the room, and I like hit Nick really hard. And I'm like, look up, Doctor Peter, Bronze Brains, Beauty of Survivor. And I was like, I don't know if it's season this or season this because there's two different seasons of Bronze Brains and Beauties. 
And Nick couldn't find them. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look them up. Like, I was like, I'm on my bleeding bed here. The least you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's the least he owes you. Right? And uh, so he, he looked it up, couldn't find it. And the nurse came in and he was just like, talks to the nurse. And he's like, hey, my wife wants to know if he was on Survivor. And she goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely was. Oh, my gosh. I know you are, like, the biggest Survivor fan. Did you know that he was from the cities? No, I didn't know he was from the cities. I thought he was from Montana, which he was from Montana, but he obviously moved here. Like, it's sad that I actually knew he was from Montana, but, like like I said, I remember facts, and I remember thinking he was very attractive on the show, so... I mean, exactly the kind of guy you want performing a surgery on. Obviously, Dr. Peter. Dr. Peter. Oh, gosh. Did he do well at Survivor? Uh, No, he didn't do that hot at it. Like... Oh, bummer. Yeah. He, he he would even say, like, they casted him and they, they cut him in a way that made him look very ego-driven, which I never got that beat from him when I went one-on-one with him. He was very wonderful, very humble, you know, everything, right? Everyone wants to know, what did you actually say to him? So I, you know, I wanted to be, like, professional, right? Like, I was like, I don't want to be like, I know who you are when you're, like, my, my life in my eyes and they're, like, are in your hands, right? But you know, um, uh, everyone was so helpful. Like they had to wheel me around and like go get blood results and like go like get an ultrasound. And everyone was like, who's your doctor? And I was like, Dr. Peter. And they're like, which one? And I was like, well, I don't remember his last name. So of course I had to say the one from Survivor, right? (laughs) 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 So funny. Uh, and, And of course, eventually this gets around to him. So he comes into the room and he's like, so I hear we have Survivor fans among us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, my, and I was like, my husband is not. I am an all-time f- fan favorite. And I think I dropped one of his quotes like, if they want to, you know, partner up with me because I look like Obama, and then they don't feel as bad that the president voted them out. And he goes, you are a super fan because that was a quote <laughs> <laughs> <It> said. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. And I do see the Obama-ness. Totally, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. um, Definitely. That's a really good description of him. Yeah, right? And um, uh, so what was funny, too, was, like, there was a lot of waiting. This this served as, like, great time. So I, like, texted my friends, like, being like, hey, this is where I'm at. I texted you. I texted, like, our main circle. and, And I remember, like, saying, you guys will not believe who my doctor is. And I said, Dr. Peter from Survivor. And I remember it's probably the first shot that comes around. It's him shirtless on the island. And I remember like all the girls giving drool faces on it. And it was, it was a, it, it was a good distraction given what was going on. He sat down and like talked with me about Survivor and, and for like 15 minutes and also gave me oh. medical talk, you know, and told me what was going on with me and everything like that. But you know, uh, and the nurse was so funny. She's like, you're going to get to tell this story about Dr. Peter giving you a pelvic exam the rest of your life. <laughs> Amen. Right? That's true. Right? And uh, I later found out, so you and I actually have a mutual friend who works with Dr. Peter. Just connect the dots for our listeners. Yes. Yeah. So Caroline, one of your previous guests, uh, she she worked with him and later found out that like this girl who was like a super survivor fan and then kind of she connected the dots herself too. It was, it was kind of wild, you know. So 
It's so funny. Yeah. Small world, mm-hmm. small world. Yes. But, uh, but to, to find out what happened to me, so this is a learning for, for women out there. Um, what happens after you have a DNC is normally if you were to have a baby, um, you would do some type of breastfeeding if that's your choice, but that helps like contract your uterus at a faster rate, which avoids blood pooling up in it, which creates okay. the clots, right? So, um, because I didn't breastfeed, uh, I ended up being, that's what ended up happening. Just pooled blood. I lost like 10 pounds in a matter of a day because of how much pooled blood was inside of me that came out. Right. Um, and they told me that this was, this is really common in DNC that like 30%, 20 to 30% of of this happens to women after DNCs. In the old days, they used to give you this pill afterward that would help contract your uterus, but 70% of the patients don't need it. So insurance doesn't want to pay for a $300 pill. Oh my gosh. And they didn't even offer it to you? They didn't even offer it. Had I known, like, I I think I would have at least asked the question or or something, you know, but I didn't know that. And they, even the doctors were like, one of the nurses who was just super helpful. I remember I, I had makeup all over my face and she handed me makeup wipes to clean up my face. And she's like, just to let you know this, like, don't worry. There's literally a woman down the hall they had a DNC last week and the same thing's happening to her. Oh my goodness. Right? It feels kind of preventable and it should have been your decision whether or not you wanted that medication. Yeah. And, and it's like they don't even offer anymore because most, they said most insurance doesn't cover it. So it's like, heck, what if my insurance would have covered it? Certainly cheaper than an ER visit. Right. Well, yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. So I don't know. It was just, it was really hard for me to like, like, like hear that and know that and learn that. So also something to point out to other people during that experience. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What ultimately was the solution? Oh, um, uh, they had to, uh, administer, um, pills to basically contract my uterus as well. Like, I, I don't remember exactly what, what they said it would do, but it was basically, it would like almost like harden the vessels to like stop it, like clot it in a way, but it had to be administered vaginally as well. So they, they did that. And then did they send you on your way or did you have to stick around for a bit? I had to stick around for a while um, just to make sure that everything was fine. And, and, and um, I think I got home by like 11 that night, but I mean, well, I had a horrible like situation and I thought that it, it lacked, um, I, I don't know. I, I felt there was a lack of communication during the whole DNC process. I'm going to look on the end of this and say, I almost was like, I'm going to write off this hospital, even though I loved my experience with Millie there. And I just thought, gosh, am I ever going to trust this hospital again? But then at the tail end of it, the ER experience was amazing. Like they, they were absolutely 100% and the most amazing team. So I thought at least it's ending on a high note. Yeah. Glass half full. Yeah. From, from you. How long ago was it now at this point? Almost a year ago. So uh, this this happened in early October, the end of it. Did it did the did the entire experience affect your decision to want to try to get pregnant again? I mentally needed a break, a long, long break. I was not in a good state to do it at that point in time. Um, I didn't want to just jump into it. I felt like my body needed to recover. I was kind of, I was scared. I was, I was honestly scared. And I thought, do I really, what if this happens again? And I end up in the ER all over again with a different result. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Of course you would think that. Yeah. So it, it took me a really long time and, and, and I took a long conversation, lots of conversations with my husband. And of course, you know, Nick, he's super supportive. He was never, ever going to pressure me or anything like that. It had to be when I thought it was right and when I wanted to pursue that. And I, I always wanted a second kid for Millie, you know. So Killian, do you have any news to report? I do. I am 12 and a half weeks pregnant. Yay! Woohoo! Yes. And, and we're recording this mid-September. Yes. So by the time this comes out in October, it, sh- it should be, I don't know, 14 to 20 weeks-ish. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for your family. Yeah, yeah. So my sister knows and, and a lot of my friends know, but my mom and my dad, they just, they're like the type of people that worry so much that I really wait until the last minute to tell them things or until it's obvious. So, <laughs> so what you're saying is I shouldn't send them a draft of the podcast. No, you shouldn't. I will be telling them before <laughs> it's released just in case. They should hear from me and not the podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for you guys. Yeah, a, a nice. Um, I don't want to say an ending because it's not an ending, but it's it's a nice, you know, change to the the story that you were experiencing and kind of what you were going through. It's a positive um, light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, definitely, and. And also just, you know, I I reflect on this and there's so many people that this doesn't happen to, but now I get to be a resource for so many other women and I appreciate all the resources that were there for me. So I I appreciate that those people paid it forward to me and hopefully I get to pay it forward to someone else. That's a perfect segue to my next question. If somebody wanted a resource, aka if somebody wanted to connect with you, how could they do that? Um, I'd say Facebook is probably the best format for me. Um, um, and just if you message me and ask me questions, that'd be the best way to do it. Like either like through the messenger or the, the other, uh, like the, whatever the email is or where you can like read it. That That's actually probably the better format. But And you're Killian Bishop. Yes. One L for Killian. K-I-L-I-A-N. <laughs> yep. Like the beer, right? Like the beer, but one L. Yes. Yeah, the beer well, has only two. The beer, the beer has two L's? Yes. Oh, yeah. well, that's confusing. I, I always thought the beer had one L because I knew your name had one L. <laughs> no. It has two L's, oh. yeah. Um, Killian, your story is, I don't want to say frightening, but it's it's really discouraging from a medical standpoint. Like, yes, you had those amazing people in, in the process that really helped you get through it. But it's, it's discouraging that you had to experience all of those, um, obstacles and, and challenges along the way. And I'm sure it doesn't feel good to kind of relive that experience. So thank you for sharing your story with Parently and making yourself vulnerable. Well, thank you for having me on, and I hope this doesn't happen to other people, but if it does, I hope that the few tips I had is definitely definitely shared. Great pieces of advice that I would not have known before 
hearing your experience. So um, super helpful. Thanks, Gil. You bet. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining. I invite you to tune in again next week for another insightful conversation. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.